guys, Kenise Middleton here. Danny Wright. We are Color Scheme. The most dynamic mother and son pair. Talking on topics like entrepreneurship. Personal development, being your personal best. Navigating corporate America, you name it. We got you. So join us, listen to these episodes. We got something for everybody. This is the best podcast out. If you listen to it, you will win. Color Scheme Podcast. Here We're we go. We're here. Launching Excited. it off. Mother, son, can't get no better than this. Can't get no better than this. (laughs) Nothing like this. I don't know how, you know, I've been talking about doing a podcast for a really long time, Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. it made sense to do it with you. As soon as you told me you wanted to do something about business, I'm like, you need me. How are you going to talk about business without me? (laughs) That wasn't the case. That was was exactly what I said to you, though. Yes. I said, wait a minute. You're going to talk about business? How are you going to do that without me? Was it? Was it? I don't know if it was originally going to be all about business, though. So when you told me you wanted to do it, I said, so what do you want to talk about? You said, well, I'm thinking about talking about business. You probably had more thoughts, but I just, you know, interjected. Yeah, that was probably how I. Yeah. That was like the. Like the the fundamental of like I was like, oh. because everything well, everything going on right now with COVID and the economy like it may it makes sense it does make sense everything is about business how business are, businesses are functioning how people are working how people are continuing to thrive you know uh, during the pandemic but really we had a lot of this going on before the pandemic where businesses were trying to figure out how to keep their employees motivated how to bridge the skill gap, how to continue to thrive and grow. So a lot of the same issues that we see today were happening already. But now it's like COVID kind of just took the yeah. <laughs> like unveil. Rip the band-aid. Rip the band-aid. <laughs> like, and exposed it completely. Everything is going yeah. on. And it's interesting because when you when you think about podcasts and a lot of the content that's out there, you have a lot of people talking about like how to build wealth, how to you know, um, you know, elevate or build your own brand, but there yeah. isn't a lot of content that's like looking at every single different things from a, from a business perspective and from yeah. that lens. And really some of the basic things. So everybody's talking about how to make money, how to build wealth. They're talking about doing all these things, but people need some of the basic fundamental, uh, you know, what, is some, what are some of those tools that they need in their toolkit to, to be better, to be sharper? You know, if you want to preach to people about being an entrepreneur and thriving, you have to give them some of the basic fundamental things so that they can be uh, self-sufficient and, and really be able to do that. And people are missing that. And who better to talk about that than us? Exactly. Right? Like, we got both, <laughs> of, these, both of these perspectives yes. where yes. you've climbed the ladder from... Yeah, I started out as an intern way back right? then. So when I think about my life, when I think back on my life, you know, when we started talking about this and I started thinking about all the things that I've encountered, challenges I've had. So I can think about and talk about the bad stuff. But when I think about the good and I think about how all those challenges helped me, you know, I started in the government in 1995 and I had a two year old. So, you know, I went from there. And how and old were you in 1995? I was uh, 18. So I was 18 years old. No, actually, you would have been turning three. So you would have been turning three when I actually first started my job um, in the federal government. And I was an intern. I was working as a clerk and I was in school and you went daycare and I was trying to figure it all out. And it it got to a point where I knew when I was getting ready to graduate, I had to figure out what was I going to do next. I could have stayed in the government, which would have made sense, but the challenge there was I started looking at how those, you know, the government, you move from one grade to the next grade and the pay is not that significantly different. 
And all I kept thinking about was, how am I going to make money to take care of you and to give you the things that I didn't have? So I started thinking beyond the government. I started thinking, wait a minute, there's a whole you know business world out here. There's a private sector. Let me start thinking about that. So I really started thinking through how to look beyond what was in my sort of immediate present and figure out how to um, think differently so I could make more money, um, gain new skills, and really carve a path for myself. So that's where I started. And then, you know, of course, 20 plus years later, I've done all kinds of things, been in all kinds of companies. And, you know, I, I have, I think, a lot to offer to to all the people that might be listening and interested in what we have to say. I have a lot to offer by way of you know, the things that I've gone through and the things that I've seen and done and how I've been able to help people along the way and how I've been able to gift you with some of those things that I've learned, too, because you're successful in your own way. I mean, you are an entrepreneur. Thank God. <laughs> so one of you know, the things you but one of the things you always said was you were constantly running from poverty. Right. And one of the things that we really need to unpack, well, I would like for us to unpack yeah. in this podcast is like. If someone isn't running from poverty or isn't running from something to that extent, how yeah. do they still become like motivated and driven? Like it's, how do you yeah. like it's it's like something you have to unearth like from you within. Do. You do. You know, and it's it's that that's the thing. So when we were just talking a second ago about um, all the things that are out there now about being wealthy, being entrepreneurs, doing all this stuff, you have to have something in yourself that tells you I want something different. I was literally running from being poor. I did not want to be poor. That was my sheer motivation. It wasn't so much that I had this this view where I said, you know, I want to be a millionaire by this age or I want to live this kind of lifestyle. Well, some of it was the lifestyle change because I didn't want to be poor. You know, we you know, I grew up in, in poor neighborhoods. We were poor when when you were younger. And I, I did a lot to try to set our, try to set our lives up so that we wouldn't be poor. So I think for other people, like you have to want life to be different for yeah. you. And and some people want life to be different for them and they just don't know what steps to take. Yeah. So, you know, so I think there's an audience. There's an audience of people that really don't want that life anymore and whatever it looks like for them and they want something different. But then there are people who are, you know, they they may need exposure to yeah. things that are different for them to to want something different. Because I'll tell you, there were a lot of people like me that as I started to move throughout, you know, it, throughout my career and started to progress and they were just like, wait a minute, she was just right here with me. <laughs> there, there, there might be something to how she's moving that I need to pay attention to. So. So I know that there were things that I did and things that things that I saw that I adapted to that made other people see and adapt to it, too. It's something about having a fear of failure, but accepting that fear that, like, gets you going, because for me, I didn't have to run from poverty. Right. Like you didn't have to run from poverty. You know, I was there you know, with you, like Absolutely just hanging, hanging on, you know, like kind of <laughs> chilling along the way. Right. But, but like didn't I didn't. Exactly. Yeah. I didn't know. And I wasn't that wasn't something that I was always fearful, fearful right. from. But like. Going directly into running my own company and being entrepreneurial, you know, right out of college made it made me have to learn how to be okay with continuously restarting and but, resetting. But even if you back up before you became an entrepreneur, you just said you didn't have to run from poverty. You weren't running from being poor. But what you did have is as you were experiencing different things in sports, in school, you had access to 
people that you know lived grander lives than we did. Yep. You you had access to. Um, teachers, mentors, all types of people that were living lives that were different from us. So you might not have been running from being poor, but you're like, oh, wait a minute, where, where'd you go? What'd you do? And how did it's you? Really, it's really finding ways to motivate yourself. Yeah, yeah. Right? Like, so from a very, from a very early on, I've always, from early on, I've always said that God put me in like the perfect position because I got to see poverty, people living impoverished, whether it's from a third world country perspective when I used to go to the Dominican Public, right. not have no lights, right. not have no water, take right. a shower with rainwater, right? right. During the summer with my grandmother. Yep. Or, you know, being with you, getting on the bus, yeah. getting dropped off at daycare, yep. you going to work, yep. having a, you know, all the different things that we went through. And then also, like you said, going to a private high school, getting a scholarship to do that, going right. to Georgetown, it, it was like, oh, that's what that looks like. Right. That's what that looks like. Right. You had this isn't this isn't it. <laughs> like yep. I know where I yep. want to go. Yeah. Right. Yep. And it's it's something about exposure, but there's also something about being able to find that little thing that motivates you personally. Like right. people have to be able to find that. Like you said, Absolutely. you didn't want to be poor, and I knew that I wanted something greater for myself. Exactly. Right. And exactly. like that goal stays persistent. Yeah. <laughs> right. And I, you know, I I don't know I don't know the answer to how people can become self-motivated. I don't know that that can be taught, mm -hmm. but the access and the expo exposure piece is part of the problem that we're seeing, you know, when we talk about the things that are being exasperated with COVID-19, access and exposure is a challenge for people. It's yep. a challenge for people like me, who was in low income, a low income environment, and you know, who, who grew up with a lot of financial challenges. And once I was able to you know, get access to different things and get exposure to different things, it changed my mindset. Yeah. So so I think that it is it is really, really difficult to become self-motivated when your surroundings look just like you. Yeah. When you're surrounded by people that look just like you, um, an environment is just it's just like yours. You don't have anything else except maybe TV, radio, you know, and, and different things on social media to look forward to. But you don't have anything that shows you what that gap looks like. You see the gap, you know that, you know the difference between poor and rich, but you don't see how to get there. Yeah. There's no path. So some of it is being, you know, self-motivated, but a lot of it is exposure and access, yeah. which you had quite a lot of. I did. So if I you did. think back to that, and then moving forward to you being an entrepreneur, um, you know, I, I remember when you were in college, <laughs> I remember when you were in college, and we were talking about all these different interviews you were going on. So we were we were having a lot of conversations about what life was going to look like for you, you know, mm -hmm. once you graduated. And it was, you know, 11th grade year probably that you were doing a lot of these interviews and things. And Like um, 11th, you mean junior year I'm college? Junior year college. Okay, I'm thinking okay. about yeah. high school and college. Your um, junior year college, well, there were some other things happening in 11th grade year. I'm thinking about um, scholarships in college and thinking about what college you were mm -hmm. going to. But fast forward to um, Georgetown, your, your, right before your senior year, your junior year, you were interviewing, you were talking to a lot of people, you were doing a lot of uh, informal interviews and things like that. But when you were actually interviewing for jobs that you were thinking about um, pursuing after college, I mean, the door was getting slammed in your face a lot of different times. <laughs> I mean, repeatedly. And, and I'm like, wait a minute, I am the master at interviews. So I'm telling you all the different things to do and we're talking about tips. I don't know if you remember all these conversations we were having. I'm like, what is the problem? And then I said, I know what it is. You are overqualified. So a yeah. lot of the times you were interf interviewing for these jobs, they were like, 
we don't want him because we are not gonna be able to groom him like we want he has experience already he has a lot of things that um we can't necessarily shape in the way we want to and businesses want to be able to groom and shape people and so I, I was trying to figure out, I don't know if you remember you going to interview, and we would be talking, I'm like, Daniel, but you, you, you know, you, I, you speak well, I know you're hitting on all the right things. I'm like, what did you wear? <laughs> what happened? And and we realized that a lot of it was, was because you were interviewing for jobs that you were overqualified for. Um, you didn't know it, I didn't know it at the time, but they were looking for someone even more junior than you. So when we but and when we go back to to the conversation about being motivated and like someone being motivated when I think back to that period everyone always feels like they got to have everything figured out but that's not the case like for me I had what probably like eight or nine different internships in college doing a wide variety right. of things right right like I didn't know what I wanted to do post college yep. really yep. but I just knew that I wanted to have a plethora of experience from a plethora of different sectors yeah. to like set myself up and to be ready to step right. into my greatness. Right. Right. And I think I think so so often we get caught up, you know, especially um, you know, younger younger uh, younger actually not even just the young generation, older people too, because yeah. a lot of successful business owners and entrepreneurs, you know, don't really hit their strides till they're like in their forties. It's very true. Right. And so I think very often people you know, we get caught up in trying to strategize and plan too much. And like, we just need to be motivated to, to know what our goal is right. and to right. just start running. Yeah, you know, I'm glad you brought that up because I forgot about <laughs> all the the uh, internships that you did. Because yeah. I remember we initially talked about it. We talked about your major. We were talking about what you wanted to do. And then another opportunity would present itself. You're like, I'm doing that one too. <laughs> and I was like, okay, Daniel, you know, make sure you eat and sleep and, you know, do all that stuff too because you were working all the time. But I thought it was brilliant. I mean, because the reason why I thought it was brilliant, and I don't think that that's, you know, for everybody to do unless you have a plan. Yeah. And unless you recognize how all those different aspects of those internships can turn into um, here are the five competencies I now have. Yeah. So one of the challenges I think, especially for young people that are starting out and, and uh, working internships is they look for internships for a particular type of job or for a particular type of major to mm -hmm. get certain skills. But if you look at, you know, things like, um, you know, your ability to present well to different audience, your ability to communicate, your ability to hone in on your writing skills, your ability to network and meet different people and make connections. All these different things are tangible skills that you need throughout your life. Yeah. So it, it doesn't necessarily matter if you have five internships that are all in the communications or journalism field or all in engineering different pieces of certain types of internships will give you that that whole view you know that you need so that you have the skill sets that are going to take you into the job or career you want or take you into the new business that you want to run that was also uh, that was also a challenge for me as well because a lot of the the companies that i was applying to jobs for they wanted people that were on a trajectory right in that direction right like you just said like if you have five jobs and communications versus me, I've had one job in communications and 10 other jobs in all these different fields. 
if you if it's a communication job, you probably want the person who's been in communication five times, right? Right. And I was all over the place. But yeah. the thing the thing about the competencies piece is it's really recognizing what your aptitudes are. Right. Right? Like if people if people begin to understand like what their passions are, what their skills are, and what you're good at and not good at, that allows you to then kind of create this puzzle. I mean put the puzzle the pieces of the puzzle together yeah. to like go towards your goals, right? And like yeah. we ha- we can't be afraid to to ask people you know, what they think we're good at. One of the things I always had was you telling me, you know, telling me exactly what you saw in me. Like, exactly what time. I was what I was good at, <laughs> right? The, the things I do a lot, yep, right? Yep, like, yep. And so, like, that helped me understand what yeah. my aptitude, aptitudes are so that I could begin to build on those skills and yeah. move towards, you know, a, a positive direction. Yeah. And, and so many people miss that. So many people but, misunderstand their aptitudes. But they don't have aptitudes. it. So you had it in me as your, yeah. as your mom. But everybody doesn't have that in a mother or father, and they don't know to ask that of their employers or mentors or colleagues. People don't always know to ask those things so that they can really, um, you know, understand their strengths, understand what they're really good at and what they have like natural tendencies towards. And that's what I always told you. So you would tell me about certain things that you want to do. And I'm like, what, what are you doing, Daniel? That is not for you. <laughs> that is not for you. And it wasn't to discourage you. It's like, it's like, I think every person needs a truth teller in their life yeah. when it comes to, you know, school, business, life, whatever it might be. And I, I feel like I've always been your truth teller. So if, if I know... Oh. I've been your truth teller too. Oh, you absolutely I tell you about yourself. Don't don't try to make this one-sided. I tell you about yourself. No, no, no. I'm not saying that. But you've been a truth teller to me because I've been a truth teller to you. So you got to think about it Everything always comes back to you. Always always bring a circle full. No, but you got to think about it like this. You have to think about it like this. You know what? I got that big vein in my head too, just like you. Can we zoom in on that? I got it from my mother. I got it from my mother. It's the truth vein. But really, the reason why. No, the reason why I say because I'm not trying to bring everything back to me because you are a star and wonderful in your own right. Don't, keep, don't, keep, I mean, take, don't take all my credit. Thanks to when me it, for the most part. But, don't take all but, my credit. But really, from the time you were born, how many times did I talk to you about truth and integrity? That yeah. was something that was always just, that was like something I wanted you to get. I wanted you to be honest. I wanted you to be truthful. Now, I was grateful. Both of you and my dad was yeah. very gung-ho about integrity and yep. being honest and not lying. So we used to get, we used to get in arguments. Used to get, we used to get in arguments about my dad trying to say I was lying about that. He's like, Daniel like, oh, don't no. lie. Oh, no, Daniel don't one. lie. That's what I would say. I would always say that. When he, told, when he was telling me you were lying, I'm like, not this one, because that was something you always had. But, you know, for, for especially, and I, you know, we were talking about young people, but I think it's all, I think it's really across the map for all ages. Some people, because there are a lot of people my age and older that are making shifts in their careers and trying to figure out what they want to do and what, you know, they want to go back to whatever their natural um, gifts were before they decided to take that job for money or to do this for their families. And people are trying to figure out what they're really good at. And sometimes it does take that strong presence in your life to say, you know what, you want to do what? I don't know. You know, I don't want to discourage you because it's not really about discouraging. It's about giving someone a positive perspective on what you see their strengths are. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people don't have that, but they also don't know how to seek it. So I'm stamping it now. We're going to end up creating a curriculum where we can teach that. Because one of the things that's missing, listen, one of the things that's missing (laughs) in just our education system in general and in the professional development realm is 
coaching people in that oh, way, absolutely. right? Like absolutely. you have, absolutely. it doesn't make any sense to me, like how our education system is so, so rigid in a way that it doesn't teach people life skills and social skills. Yeah. And there's a reason you have, like, there's a reason there's a, a market for executive coaches, right? Like those same, the, that same market where people are getting one-on-one coaching to be an executive to, or to be a good manager, like that same, that same, um, that same arena and field yeah. needs to be like in schools or at least in colleges, no, right? Like where you can teach people those skill sets and like how to how to maneuver and understand themselves and understand other people around them. Like I feel yeah. like a lot of that is also social cues. Yeah, no, and I think that, so back when I was in high school, we actually had courses around life skills. Mm-hmm. And the life skill courses had different variations where you could learn things like um, how to be, because back then it was, you know, going into certain jobs and having, um, you know, certain, uh, your, your ability to type a certain words per minute and things like that. They wanted people to have some of those basic computer skills, um, uh, being able to present to people, be able to talk to people, you know, oral communications and all these things. So they, they were teaching that in high school as part of an elective. I don't know that that exists anymore. And even if it did, it would need a huge remix because that is not applicable today, but I think that's something that's missing. Some of those um, life skills sort of things and how you work in business and how you navigate businesses and business environments, I think that's the piece that's missing in a lot of people. And like I said, that's all over the map when it comes to different age groups. It's not, a, it's not really taught in high school. I think in college you have the opportunity to get some of that, but it's not obvious. There's yeah. no flashing lights that, you know, that say, learn this here (laughs) so that is not there so they're missing um they're not getting a lot of that in college and and i think programs that are intentional you know if if we are the ones to do that i you know i signed up for it if we're the ones to develop that type of curriculum and really help people to um, hone in on on some of those really sharp soft skill things that they need i would love to be able to help people with that once we kick that thing off we're gonna look back at this conversation and be like that was it, yeah. right? Like when we talk yeah. about recognizing like aptitude, skills, competencies, right. and what you're good at and what you have the ability to do, like we're recognizing that now. And yeah. <laughs> the next thing we know, we go have then it, then that comes, whole, right? To and you went towards it, right? It's like true. prime example right here. And and this this story is going to be telling. I'm glad that we're kicking this episode off like this because it's going to be telling for so many people to be like, wow, that's it. This is where they are. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. this is where they identified that and kept going. This is exactly what they're talking about. I love it. Let's take right? the future into life today. <laughs> right. So, I just, it, it makes yeah. so much. It makes so much sense. It makes yep. so much sense. Well, we were talking about how so many people are having these challenges now. I think, you know, with with the pandemic and the fact that people are teleworking their home, they're thinking about their lives differently, businesses are thinking about their lives, uh, their their organizational livelihoods differently and things like that. I think because of that, it's really making people um, think about, you know, what am I doing? What am I doing today? What do I want to do next? Some people are feeling discouraged because Mm -hmm. of what the job market looks like. There, there's still tons of people that are getting jobs in different industries, but um, depending on where you are, the future looks a little bleak for some people. But then there are others that are using this opportunity and they're thriving. Like right now we're talking about a podcast. We're talking about the future of developing curriculums and different things like that. There are lots of people that are using this time and and are really thriving. But, but I think, there's a huge um, 
there's a huge population of people that really don't know what to do next. And, and a lot of it is because they were already sort of stuck in where they were before this even happened. So I think there's a, there's a huge opportunity for us to reach some of those people too and use some of the things they were talking about to spark, to give them a spark. So if they were listening, if one of those people were listening now, like what, would we, what should we tell them to like get them started? Because there is a, there's a big difference between being entrepreneurial and like running towards something yeah. and also understanding how markets and industries shift. Yeah. Like GDP, um, gross domestic product for those who may or may not know, yeah. right? Like the total revenues of what people spend, like that typically doesn't j drop too much. It's gonna to drop this year because of the pandemic, right. but really like industries spend and the, the biggest difference is industries just change and right. they shift, right? Like we're seeing uh, a big influx in like tech now, mm -hmm. more, more money being into like AI and things of that nature, right? Like that's just a shift. Right. Like, and jobs are going from one place to another. And yeah. so if, if we had some, some of those people listening, like, what do we tell them to like, what do they need to do? Do they, do they start looking at the news more? Do they start reading well, articles? Yeah. Like, what do you, what do, you do to, kind of, of to kind of catapult yourself? Because we have, what, what, it's like, I don't know what percentage of it, but there's millions of people on unemployment benefits now, right? Right. And so, like eventually that's going to run out yeah. like that $600 a week is going to end soon and yeah. so we have all these people that still aren't working like where do they go how do they how do they start preparing themselves now so so that when those benefits I mean, end it's, it's a great question it's a it's 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 a huge um issue and I think about when when you were just asking me that the first thing I started thinking about is what I tell my students so I have I teach cyber classes as you know um everybody else doesn't know that but I teach at both the undergrad and the graduate level. The majority of the students that I teach in undergrad are um, former military, former or current military, That's a, it's a large population of military students and then there, there are a few that are, it's, it's three categories, it's military, it's career transitioners and it's people that have never worked. So it's, it's like three different categories of students. So one of the questions I get all the time for the newcomers that have never had a cybersecurity job they always ask me, how do I get started? What do I do? How do I get started? I don't have any experience. Um, so I say, when you say you don't have any experience, have you just never, ever, ever worked? And once I peel that back, I find out, oh no, I interned here for a little while and I used to help my mother, my mother ran a store, or I used to babysit, or um, I used to deliver packages. Like it may, it's a very um, just perspective, per, you know, spectrum of, of different perspectives and what they've actually done. So when I start asking them questions about what they've done before, of course none of these things have anything to do with cybersecurity, but then you find out they're extremely detail-oriented or they've had to you know, balance budgets for their parents and, and support of their parents' business or different things, right? So then I, I tell them, well, here's cybersecurity is, yeah, there's some technical aspects of it, of course, that's what the discipline is, but it's also being able to assess it's being able to organize, it's being able to analyze, it's being able to communicate. Where can you find yourself in the jobs that you've had before, the volunteer work you've had before, the experiences you've had before that would align itself to that? So maybe you don't have core experience about a thing that you want to yep. do. Maybe the experience is not core, but there are some other things that you've done that you really need to explore. So I think this is a perfect time to really sit down and think about what you've done in your life. So first, what do you want to do? 
what do you want to do? Because you just said the unemployment benefits are about to run out. Everybody knows it. The people that are receiving it knows it. So it's it's really on each person to say, what do I want to do now? Yeah. This is this is happening. This is on the horizon. What do I want to do? So once you figure out what you want to do, of course, we have to do that within our means. If you all of a sudden want to you know, be president or something like that, like that, that's an ambitious goal. Yeah. But think about what do you realistically want to do right now? And what kinds of things have you done already that help you to to get there? I don't think it necessarily needs to be what do you want to do, though, because you know, there's a lot of things out there that people don't know what they want to do. Yeah, right. True. Like, and true. it goes back to just understanding your skill sets and your passions to kind of get you going. Yeah. Right. Because like you didn't necessarily want to start a podcast. Right. But you know a lot about a lot of different topics, like s- super experienced business professional, yeah. great speaker. Right. Like and can have fluid conversations. So it, it works. Yeah. Right. And for so many people, just like you said, you know, about your, your cyber, your cyber students, it's, it's looking in the mirror and just saying, like, what am I good at? No, you're right. You're like, right. It's, what do I, or what do I like what? to do? That's an excellent point, because I said, what do you want to do? But it's, it's what do you want to do and what are you good at? Yeah. So you're right. It's two different. It's not necessarily because you're right. A lot of people don't know what they want to do. So what what I get a lot of times from um, my students is I, I want to be in the cybersecurity field. They know that. They're trying to figure out what aspect of it they want, but they know they want to do that part. But then they're like, well, I mean, all I've done is is I've worked in health a little bit or, you know, I've worked a little bit in finance. And I'm like, you work in health and finance. <laughs> they need health and finance people with cybersecurity. Yeah. So what I end up finding out is most people have some type of experience Mm -hmm. you know that would lend itself to something else so i think it's it's the people that don't know what they want to do they need help in figuring out you know what it's it's just back to the truth teller Mm -hmm. you know someone you know kind of exploring the opportunity to talk to somebody else because everybody doesn't already have that person in their, their lives and we you and I have talked a lot about mentorship and coaching and things like that. People need someone, and sometimes they have to seek out that someone to help them unpack what they're good at. Yeah. You know, and that person doesn't have to be a career expert. It could be just someone who's smart, who's been observing you know, what you've been doing and know you a bit, that can, can hear from you what you've been doing and what, you, what you're thinking about, and can say, oh, you know what, that sounds like this. Or, oh, I remember you told me you were an editor in your school paper some years ago. You can write. You know, yeah. different things like that. It's just those, those it's very basic things that can, can be teased out of those conversations that would help people be directed in where they need to go. So I think what I would tell to, to people listening right now that don't know, I would say seek out someone who does. Everybody has, I can tell you from my life, most of my mentors and, and people that I've looked up to were not, I would say, established mentor relationships. Yeah. Like I didn't walk up to them and say, I, I really want you to be my mentor today, and this is why. They were people that I actually looked up to that I saw had good qualities in them that I wanted or that I admired. And I was like, wow, they know how to do that. I wanna know how to do that too. So I'm gonna follow them and figure out how I can adapt to or adopt some of the things that they know. Those are, I think those have been my best relationships, those informal mentor mentoring relationships where I actually, you know, saw people out and said, hey, I wanna be able to do this. Can you, you know, spend some time with me? I remember working with a colleague of mine when I, when I took a job and he said, you have a lot of experience. I really need to know um, about budgets. Like I want to be, it's something I'm, I'm, you know, becoming a manager. I don't know anything about 
reviewing budgets. I don't know anything about the budget cycles. I don't know anything about any of that stuff. Can you help me? I said, nope, I can't. But I know somebody who can, who can spend time with you that knows all the ins and outs because I know about budgets, but I didn't know them in the way that I knew he wanted to get like all the kind of beginning to, to ending um, understanding of. So I was able to direct him to some somebody else. So that's what we need to do for each other. Yeah. We need that kind of, it might not be that you find the answer in one particular person. Maybe it's five or 10, yeah. but that's what we need to be doing for each other. And as people who need that, we have to seek that out. I still seek that out myself. And you know, I feel like I, I'm pretty sharp in business, I think. But I still, I'm still looking every day for, for different things that I need that I want to add to my arsenal of goodness. And um, I think you have to seek it out. The truth telling component is super important because a lot of people don't have that. And more of us need to seek to be that as well for others. I totally right? Like in the, in the nonprofit, my nonprofit Good Projects that I co-run, uh, you know, for three years we ran this juvenile mentorship program. And so many of the kids had never had a job, right? But like one of the biggest factors that make these kids, you know, commit whatever crime it is, is they don't have any money, yeah, right? Or they have trauma in the house. And how do you get a job and try to make money if you've never had a job before? Yeah. And it goes right back to the skills, the aptitudes, right? Like some of the kids talk a lot. I'm like, you right. talk a lot. Let's get you on a let's get you on a podcast. Yes. Let's get you yep. doing a radio. Let's yep. let's get you on the right path. And actually, let's get some of these government agencies to pay you to talk to kids that have, have committed crimes too. Let's get your right, right? Like, and it's but it's that component that you just said about being a truth teller and like looking at someone and saying, you know, you're yeah. good at this. You should try this, or you're good at that, yeah. or you do yeah. pay attention to details. You should try to do this, yeah. right? And it, it takes it takes time, but if more of us sought to be a truth teller in other yeah. people's lives, then man, the world yeah. be a better place. We gotta really, we need to embody. My brother being my brother's keeper, yeah. like literally. Well, I, I believe we have a responsibility. We have a responsibility to be that. Yep. I mean, it's sort of an unwritten responsibility. It's an unwritten rule. But you know, if you've if you've had a job and you've had success in your life, why wouldn't you want to help the next person? Why wouldn't you want to support them in getting to where you are? Especially if you're on the you're still on the move, mm -hmm. you know. And even if you're not, even if you're not on the move. When you see someone else that wants something and they don't know how to get it, I feel like you should you should feel responsible to to help them in that. So we just talked about two things. We talked about you as the person needing that mm -hmm. and seeking that out. But but the responsibility on the people that are actually already there, they're already where you want to be. They should be reaching out and doing more mentoring and doing more coaching and recognizing different skill sets and people and helping them with it. So what do you think about the role of companies and that truth telling component, right? So recently we've seen some of these tech companies like Twitter, you know, censor, begin to censor certain yeah. people's messages like yeah. Donald Trump, Donald Trump Jr. Like, and a few other individuals yeah. where they're starting to say, nope, you're, you're saying the wrong thing or you're spreading yeah. misinformation, whether it's about COVID and these masks or whatever yeah. it is. Yeah. Do you think companies should have that role or like tech companies specifically and some of these social media companies, should they have that role? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I totally agree. You think I they totally should, yep. you think they should be censoring people's information? Like you're, you're putting out the wrong information. Here's the thing. I'm gonna cut your account off. Here's the thing. The reason why it looks bad now is because it's after fact. Mm -hmm. It's after the fact, right? So if you think about 
a business and a business model, there are certain social responsibilities they have. They have responsibilities to the employee. Every employee of a company has some type of conduct that they must abide by. Mm -hmm. So if you have your employees abiding by rules of conduct, that should also relate to your business model, whether it be your customers, your users, your partners, your external relationships, whoever it is that has some type of affiliation with your company, they should be bound by some type of rules of behavior, conduct, ethics, something. So the reason why it looks bad, I think, to the world right now, to people right now, is right now it's after the fact. They're, nobody's thinking about the fact that Twitter and all these companies have rules of, of, of behavior and conduct that their employees have to follow. Mm-hmm. So if you have people that work for you and have to follow certain behaviors, whether it be social media, because I'll tell you, I've worked for companies that said you can't put certain things on social media mm-hmm. if you are affiliated with us. So I can't say I work for company X and then I'm saying all kinds of, you know, whatever I want on Facebook or Twitter or wherever it is. So I think it's absolutely, I think it's a responsible thing. They should have been doing it from the beginning. It looks bad because they're doing it now. That's why it looks bad. It looks bad because now it's like, oh, all of a sudden you care? You know, in in the height of the fact that we have an election coming up, in the height of um, the racial injustice and and inequality in this country, all these different issues that we have socially. So now it's like, oh, oh, oh. (laughs) Now you care about them saying X, Y, Z. Oh, where have you been? So that's why it looks bad. But but really, those companies should have been doing it a long time ago. But here's another thing that's changed, though. So so another thing that's changed in in the climate right now is we have a number of privacy related laws mm-hmm. that are that are um, that are that are coming, you know, under um, I'd say the limelight and the spotlight is there now. So because some of them are new, we've had a number of privacy laws that have been in play for years. But now we have states that are saying we need protections over people's people's information, what are being said about people. With Every data. single time I say something or that I'm interested in something, it pops up on yeah. my social feeds. Yeah. And they well, start selling me, other. selling me, selling, <laughs> trying to sell me products that I that's was talking about. It don't be, right. it don't even be stuff I texted. It'd be, actually, it's been text messages, it's been things I've talked about, it's been conversations that I've had with yeah. not my phone, yep. or conversations yep. on my phone, all of it. I've seen products and and vacations and things trying to well, ads coming at me about well, everything here's the that I've discussed. Thing about that, so so in addition to what I'm, I just mentioned about privacy laws for all the technology that we have. Every service that we turn on, located services, all these different things that we turn on mm-hmm. and enable, they're able to track some of those interactions, mm-hmm. where you are, what you're talking about, what you're typing and things like that. So the privacy laws are becoming more sophisticated that that information needs to be clear to users. Mm-hmm. So when you turn on a setting, you're supposed to actually know what it does. Yep. Not just the fact that you've provided um, your your cell phone an opportunity to have, you know, uh, location services where you can be found wherever you are. There's more to it than that. Yep. So if you think about the fact that we have new um, and, and, and modified privacy laws, you think about just, you know, yeah, we have freedom of speech. But if you look at how it's being used, all these different things, organizations have a responsibility to protect people. So them censoring certain people and since not even certain people, but censoring people is appropriate to me because it's a violation of it's a violation of people's rights to be able to be um, 
to make disparaging remarks about but people. But if you flip that upside down and yeah, we look at <laughs> we look at the news, right? Right? Newspapers, media outlets, you know, they're corporations too. They're yeah. companies too. Yeah, they are. Right? And they have disparaging opinions about a lot of different things. Yeah. Some are factual, some are based by evidence, some aren't. If if we begin yeah. censoring people on social media and their opinions on different topics, then should we be doing the same? I think it's about I think it's about intent, right? It's about business intent. So one of the 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 things that we're having sort of a problem with now is just the sheer volume of information that's on the internet. That's truth versus lies, right? The internet was not set up to to be a truth telling source. It was set up for people to have access to whatever they want, whenever they want it, and and now it's become a dumping ground for junk garbage good information bad information useful information it's all kinds of stuff so that's one major issue so you know the government is looking at that like what what do we do about the internet like it's 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 out of control so if you think about the intent though you think the, about the intent of news and journalism the intent is to provide truth and some opinionated you know editorials and you know commentaries have always been based on opinions um, that's supported by some fact yep. sometime, but that's the purpose. That's the intent. Social media, the intent is for social interaction, right? Are you socially interacting if you're lying on people? Are you socially interacting if you are putting information out that's harmful about people? Are you socially interacting if you're using social media for um, to support your prejudice and your bias and your, you know, racism. I'm socially interacting, but in a negative way. Mm, I guess. Way. I guess. So, so, but so basically, the, it's about intent. But does the so does the buck stop with start and stop with the CEOs of these companies? Like, you know, we we saw we saw recently, you know, Zuckerberg and all these and Bezos and all these other CEOs, you know, speak in front of Congress about some of these issues. And when we look at back at the 2016 election with everything that went on with Facebook and we talk about Russia and, yeah. you know, all of the information that was being dumped into Facebook and being on people's pages, misinformation. Right. Does does the blame go to the CEO? Does it go to Zuckerberg? Does he? And in those situations, does, does the CEO even know? Yeah. Well, I think I think the CEO has a responsibility to know. Okay. Absolutely. You have a you don't get to hide behind the fact that you are a, you know, multi-millionaire, you know, multi whatever type of company, whatever the company is set up to do and how much money it makes. You don't get to hide behind the fact that you have 5,000 employees or 50,000 employees. You don't get to be like, I don't I have no idea what they're doing. Get to that. When you get to that level, you're not. You're not ingrained. Like you don't You're know not. as much. You're so not. we can look at we can look at Bezos as an example, right? And and Amazon. And and recently, I think one of the one of the congressional hearings hearings they were talking about how Amazon is is now you know allowing people to sell fraudulent or not fraudulent, but like counterfeit products, like how that's messing up by the people's business. Right. Like, is that something that Bezos would know? He's you know he has over hundred billion dollars. Is he paying attention that much and actually running the company that much that he knows that? So and that it, he he's the one who becomes responsible for it. Now, yeah. not to say he's not responsible for fixing it once it once it hits public light, but like, is that his fault? Anything that happens within your company is your fault. It's your fault. Like, there's the black and white of it for me. And okay. the, here's the thing, though. It's like when you have a huge company, it doesn't even have to be huge. You can have a small company that has a number of employees, 
you're not going to be everywhere. You know, mm-hmm. you, you can't. You're one person. You can't be everywhere. Every but you day. should have the culture. You and should have the exactly, culture and the internal control. Yeah. So the thing is, the culture and the internal you control, have yeah. to have the internal control. You have to set the systems, the procedures, and Absolutely. you have to. That is why you, you're at fault. And if you lead with integrity from the onset of being that leader then it will trickle down to the yeah. rest of the organization. That's why the responsibility still lies with you yeah. as, as a CEO. That's why you can't, you know, but hide there's so many. That. I feel like there's so many people that don't understand that. There's so many people that don't understand, like, how, you know, like, the bug starts and stops with the CEO because they're supposed to be the person that is leading and ingraining the culture within the organization so that the rest of the employees yeah. are working and leading and operating with integrity. Well, the other, work- thing, the other thing, though, about that is... Um, you're right. There are a lot of CEOs that don't know it, but there are a lot of CEOs that are smart about how they delegate responsibility. Yeah. So if you think about, you know, like I said, my cyber background, you know, we have typically there's the CEO, there's the CIO, which is the chief information officer. Then you always have someone who's responsible for cybersecurity, and that's the chief information security officer. A lot of times, so the CIO is responsible for everything IT. Anything that happens in the organization, IT related, they are typically responsible for. But if there is a cyber attack and the chief information security officer was, you know, put in position to to man the gates Mm -hmm. and understand everything that happens, is the CIO no longer culpable? Do they get to say, oh, wasn't me, gave it to her to do. So maybe, maybe not. Oh, we see people falling aside. The thing is, is, maybe or maybe not. And it it really it really depends on how that's been delegated. If that's actually been delegated formally and in some kind of written way, which is what a smart CEO should do. And that's what comes back to the internal controls and the procedures. Exactly. And like Exactly. And a lot of and a lot of workplaces I feel like miss that. Yeah, they do. Yeah, they do. It's it sometimes it doesn't um, become apparent until something bad happens, yep. which is why, you know, many years ago, using cyber as an example, again, uh, back in the day, if there was a cyber breach, if something happened, the CEO was let go. Oh, you're fired. You you failed to secure this environment. I mean, they were the ones that were penalized for that issue. Mm-hmm. And until they got smart and said, oh, no, 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 I have other people in charge. Not only are they in charge, but I'm going to formally designate them. Yeah, so, so it's more than just it's more than just delegating. It's, it it's is. the formal it's the formality exactly. around it to now say that well, no, I'm hiring you to make sure this you take care job. of this. Yeah. This is what you signed on to do. Let me know how it goes. I, I need to be informed. Commit but And that's a that's a that's another form of just communication, like effective communication within yeah, the organization and, and transparency. Absolutely. You know, someone needs to know that. <laughs> yeah, and that's why a lot of times, you know, when you when you talked about um, you know, these congressional hearings, a lot of times when there is something bad that happens that gets exposed in the media, you don't just see the CEO. You see the CEO, you see whoever else they've designated. They're all on the hill. Yeah. They're all there talking about what happened. The CEO is all like, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> Y'all coming with me. Because it's not just him or her that are, you know, responsible for that. They may have formally designated it to someone else. And so they're all kind of responsible in some way, shape or form. So, but you're right. A lot of businesses don't have that, don't have that knowledge, don't have that uh, maturity, don't have those internal controls in place. But it's extremely important to do, though. It's not just it's not just businesses, though. You know, if we look at our government, our government is essentially a business, yeah. but it doesn't it doesn't run with the same integrity as businesses as businesses yeah. should, in a way. You know. Yeah, I think the 
accountability is different. That's what it really is. It's 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 I, I don't want to say it's a lack of integrity. I think it's more the um, the I think it's really the account the accountability model mm-hmm. is different. So whereas in a business you have that true CEO in governments, the CEO is, you know, the president, yeah. really, or, you know, some variation of of depending on what kind of governmental structure it is. But um, there are a number of people that are kind of at the top. So there's not like that one CEO and there's not that linear this person, this person, this person, this person type of it's hierarchy. Like- it's yeah, exactly. It's kind of like it goes like this, like <laughs> a like a pyramid or something. So so the accountability model is different. Mm. So that's why. So I, I don't want to I, I don't want to, you know, have people thinking that it's a necessarily it's a, you know, lack of integrity. I think it's more gray we we talk about these shades and these yeah. colors and you know and and where things are black and white it's a lot of gray that, when it comes that, to and that is systems. the difference because in corporations and in companies it should be black and white yeah and, and yeah. when it comes to government it is more like a like a transient yeah. you know color scheme it is it is, <laughs> it is right is. like it's a it's a gray scale it it's like black to gray 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 lighter gray gray lighter gray lighter gray lighter gray white you know, so like that's that's how government is compared is. to compared to corporations. But it it's a is. it's a problem. Like we and I, it it's 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 messed up because there's no way to kind of instill that in, that yeah. that accountability in our government because it's so big and it's so massive. Well, you know, yes and no. So it is big. It is massive. Those are all true. But the government does have things in place where they have expectations for certain types of training and awareness that leaders have and all these but different these levels. Leaders are, but, but when you have leaders that aren't holding other leaders accountable, that's when it all just kind of it yeah. kind of implodes right yeah. through the bottom. That's what we've been seeing in our country now. And that's what we're seeing right now going through this pandemic and yeah. going through COVID, you know, with a lot of the policies and a lot of things that's going on. It really it's really it's really unfortunate because now the the miseducation that we have as a society and, and like the the large population of our society that isn't educated to completely understand how accountability and how these things kind of all directly correlate yeah it it makes it so that now the people also aren't holding the government yeah. accountable either it's kind yeah. of like this big it this is big mess it's in a so way true. it's so true it's true i've lived it i've seen it it's it's pretty accurate yes. it's pretty accurate I think that businesses, um, you know, outside of the government and private industry, I think they have a little bit more, um, I want to say a little bit more flexibility, but that's not the right word because businesses are also held to a certain standard when it comes to how they're regulated and what compliance expectations they have and things like that. But I feel like there's a little bit more flexibility in how they can um you know sort of shape their leaders into accountable players in the in the organization and set up those types of controls so that the culture shifts and is a part of that that movement of change i think there's a little bit more flexibility to do that because in a in a in a organization you can basically the ceo can basically say we're going to do stuff now like this today and it it happens that is not how it works in the government there's no we're going to shift everything today. Uh, there, it's like turning a, you know, a huge ship. It, it, it won't happen that quickly because of some of the, you know, laws we, and compliance. And if we, if I think, you know, people have a lot of different 
opinions about the government and the way it's run but when we look yeah. at the system i think what people fail to to understand is the government is like a business the only difference is. is the culture and the systems that within the government it's it's kind of it's old it's of it's, it's from, very old you know seven the 1700s old. 1600s when we yeah. first you know created the constitution and the declaration yeah. of independence like yeah. that's it's almost as if our government our federal government and our state governments are literally the culture of the founder and the founding the fathers that have just kind of trickled all the way true. down and still we're still just in this it is very you know, true this, it's interesting you mentioned that because I recently had a chance to I wanted to see him I know you saw Hamilton yes um, live you know you were able to go <laughs> I wasn't able to go <laughs> so I actually saw it because uh, the Disney Channel is, is running it and like Disney is running it like the actual play but yeah like, the actual Disney? play it's, uh, you got Disney Plus I do I just oh, have Disney Plus. Yeah, I just have Disney Plus. So, <laughs> anyway, I have Disney Plus like three, four years or something with my package. But anyway, um, it was incredible. It was absolutely, I, I was just like, I love plays anyway. It was incredible. But the reason why I bring that up is it was so wild watching that. And because that's about, you know, it's about all those governmental systems, right? Yeah. And I was sitting there watching and I was like, oh my God, we are still there. You know, because I've most of, you know, half of my life, half of my professional life has been spent in the government, actually a little bit more than half, if I think about the years. But, um, you know, those financial systems that Hamilton was setting up, the, I mean, a lot of that is still happening. Like, we're still working in that same way. Mm -hmm. The way that they made decisions back then, um, the model, I was just like, oh my God, look at how long ago that was. That was when Washington was president. Yeah. But I, I, I would say that the way, the way corporations are run now isn't necessarily the best way either in, in the sense where you said, you know, a CEO could be like, oh, tomorrow yeah. this is how we're going to yeah. do something, right? Yeah. And we see that. We kind of see that now in our government when we look at, when we look at the, the differences between <laughs> when uh, President Obama was in office yeah. versus when you know, President Trump's in office now because we see now President Trump is just like, nope, this, this bill's right. gone. Nope, this right. is gone. This is gone. This is gone, right? And like that all of a sudden just kind of like breaks, right. the, it messes up the system. So if, if government could move that fast well, or faster like a company, then... I don't know, like, but it goes back down to internal controls and like what, what what internal controls should be in place in our government now. I mean, like, yeah, we have like the three different branches. You got the executive, judicial, and the uh, legislative branches of the federal government, which are supposed to be the checks and balances, right? Which aren't really working efficiently and effectively. But intended. I feel like there are also things that are missing between those entities that like isn't allowing us to to move forward and and progress effectively as a country. Right. Well, here's the thing, though. So we, we just talked about, you know, the fact that a CEO can say today we, we will change. The, the good part about that is they fail sometimes and then they recover and then they get better. Yeah. So if you don't have that ability to fail and recover, then you're stuck in the same old system, which is what we see a lot of times in the government. So, you know, it's like it's like if you look at the two different perspectives, you're right. Sometimes it's extremely disruptive to have a large corporation and then you're just like, we're going to do this differently today. And everybody just has to live with that. It's extremely disruptive. Sometimes it hurts the culture. It does a lot of different things, but you can find the bad in that and recover and replace it with something even better and make people happy and make people um, motivated to follow you. But in the government, sometimes 
our systems are so old and we don't have the ability to move in that in that same way Mm -hmm. so we don't know if it's going to be good or bad so it's almost like you know you you have this safety net you don't get a you don't get a chance to fail you also don't get a chance to succeed in a different way you know so you just do the same old thing the same old way you're stuck in the middle of the color you are you're the gray area you are you're stuck there (laughs) and, and a lot of the people that that are there are either you know super complacent Mm -hmm. so whenever i think about the skills gap issue and the fact that we we have a lot of companies that are hot want to hire a lot of people but we don't have a lot of people that have the competencies competencies and skills so it's like the companies are here the people are here there's no there's no way to bridge that gap or they haven't figured out how to bridge that gap so that they can actually hire from that pool i think about the government i think about the government a lot because there's that there's so many people in that gray where they've had the same skills for a long time, where they've done the same job for a long time, where they've worked under the same regime for a long time. And that might be fine for people. I'm not knocking it because that might be where people are comfortable and that might be where people want to be. But there are a lot of people that don't want to be there and they don't know what to do because they're in this. They're still in this agency. They're looking for they're waiting for change, like tapping their foot. Okay, this year is gonna happen. Wait, wait, wait. Somebody's gonna retire. Change is gonna come, and they're they're stuck in that gray waiting. So it's like this. It's like this massive waiting room. They're all in the waiting room. Like they can call my name any minute. Something's gonna happen any minute, and they're waiting for it to happen. And those same leaders stay. That same regime is still in place. Those same rules. Those same uh, processes. That same structure still exists. So those people that have been sitting in that waiting room are now sliding down in their chair. They're like, ah, what do I do now exactly? Now I'm like, I'm falling on the floor. <laughs> I'm not sitting in this chair anymore. I'm losing it. I am unraveling. <laughs> so, so they have to figure out what to do. They have to make a decision. They have to decide that they leave, you know, and, and try something different someplace else. Or they stay and they continue to wait. It's like waiting for someone to be good to you. Waiting for someone to give you something better and give you something different. That's what happens. And, and you know, I find, at least in corporations, I think they, they are able to shake them up enough. Sometimes good, sometimes bad. But it causes a reaction. Yeah. Whereas in the government, it causes you to stay in that waiting room, gray area. And, you know, and then a lot of those people that do want to go out and get these jobs, because there still are a lot of jobs, they don't have the skills yeah. because they've been doing the same kind of thing and their skills haven't matured. And um, yeah, part of it is on them. I'm not going to put it on the employer and say bad government agency for not doing better with your people because you have to be responsible for your career. You have to recognize that it's yours. Yeah. You own it. It's for you to do. It's not for somebody to come and tell you that they're going to do something for you or give you something. You have to recognize that it's yours. You know, you can dictate how it goes, but if you're in an organization that is not being good to you, you can decide to wait for them to be, but you have to recognize that the odds, you know, it's 50-50 odds there. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think a lot of people are, are are stuck in that, but I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing all the time for leaders to decide to, you know, sh- shift, shift the culture decide to do something different i think it's all about how you do it and you have to care enough about people and having those internal controls in place so that people know what's happening and they can they will be happy to follow you they will be happy to to do whatever that new thing is or take that shift or take that new opportunity if they 
if you help them along. You can't so just people, tell them what so to do. So many people take that for granted. Yeah. Um, you know, we so many people think that being a leader is, you know, doing a certain amount of work or working extremely hard or putting in a lot of hours. But it's no, it's it. A big part of it is the way you treat people. It's it the is. way you, you lead by example. It's the way you have other people's best interests in heart. Yes. And like that's how you build a culture and an organization and an agency that one allows people to grow, two allows people to want to be a part of it, and three, you know, ultimately is able to accomplish your goals and your mission yeah. of your organization. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a whole lot to be said about about leaders and and we have some wonderful examples of some and we have some really really awful ones, but I think that a lot of times in organizations, you know, some of some there are a lot of leaders that think that they just need to tell people what to do yeah. because they have, they believe they have the the best approach. This is the right way to do it, so just do it. Just do what I told you to do. And what what oftentimes gets missed and what they, they fail to realize in doing that, people don't want to talk to you. So yeah. people don't want to tell you the truth. They don't want to expose bad news. They don't want to, because if you are this tyrant leader that just dictates you know what what people need to do, then when do you create space for people to tell you, oh, by the way, this is happening over here? Or if you're one of those people that don't know how to listen and respond to what people are telling you. Like I've been yeah. in conversations and I've seen other leaders, you know, they'll they'll have a conversation with someone, someone will be telling them something and their response has nothing to do with what was just told to them. Which is almost <laughs> as bad as the dictator. It is. It's almost it's almost like they're they're almost side by side. Yeah. That dictator that says just do what I say, do, and that person who's like, Oh, let me hear what what happened? Oh, yeah, well, let me make this phone call and let me go do this and clearly not pay you any attention. But that's stupid. And leaders that treat people like they are are just awful. Yeah. And so you you have to um, you have to give people it's there's so much balance in that and giving people that ear and listening to what they actually have to say. But you also have to responsibly tease apart what the real issues are. Because some people will abuse that. I've been in positions where I was this listener and I'm like, let me hear what everybody has to say. And then it turned into people complaining about all kinds of Open things. Up the that, can of worms, yeah. Right. But, like this isn't relevant to what the topic was supposed to be about or to yeah. the business or to the company or to the organization but or to what's to going balance, on. You have to give it balance. You do have a certain amount of listening that you need to do. You can't think that you're going to go into an organization and that you know, how do you, how can you proclaim to know the best approach? I don't care how many years of experience you've had. How can you proclaim to know the best approach when you have hundreds and thousands of people that are doing the jobs every day? You mean to tell me they don't have any value to know anything about what's going on? You, how, how do you not recognize the value in the people that are there? That doesn't mean you give everybody a form to talk to you about what might need to happen. But you have to recognize that you have some some people that have been in positions for quite some time that you need to listen to. And I think, you know, um, it's important to do that, whether it's government or private or in the private sector, that will help you figure out how to shift the culture and how to navigate change. Yeah. But we do have so many old systems in place that have not offered that. So um, I think that's an important piece to do. But for the people that are in the in these gray spaces is back to what we were talking about earlier in you know trying to figure out what to do you you have an opportunity to talk to other people one of the great things about 
working remotely now is that people are able to manage their time and have a little bit more flexibility in how they can do that. Um, this is a great time to to you know start reaching out to some of those people that you do admire or that yeah. you do trust or that you've seen some goodness in that you want to uh, adopt or find out more about. This is- well, I'm excited. We got a lot of information to give people. Yes, we do. Know. Yes, we do. We're going we're gonna to continue to figure out how we're going to blend this, this color wheel into into the business you know yeah and i think like you said we have all these great perspectives you as the entrepreneur small business financial guru just uh, you as miss cyber but don't really want to be cyber no No, more so more like consultant slash moving towards entrepreneurial you know like slash super professor like you know no cyber is who i am and it's what i've done for t- almost 20 years but there's i have so much more yeah. there's so much more so I'm, I'm happy to be here to offer it so this it's is gonna be, it's gonna be good yep i'm excited i'm excited color scheme color scheme all right we out yep.